When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the final episode of the season of the Hockey News on the Air podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tony Ferrari, joined by my beautiful bald brethren, Brock Otten, back from Nashville. How's it going, buddy? Good, Tony. How you doing, man? Not too bad. Uh, Nashville was a great time. We had some fun. Uh, the draft was great to experience in person. And uh, let's wrap it up today. So uh, let's get right into it. Who went in the first round? We, we said over under was going to be four or five. We had five. Let's start with Colby Barlow at 18 to Winnipeg. What was kind of your expectation for him? Did he go where you expected? Yeah, actually, it's it's funny. I did a mock for McKean's, and that's where I had Barlow going was 18th to Winnipeg. It, it just seemed like a like a really good fit. Winnipeg has drafted out of the O a decent amount in recent years. They've had some success with that. And uh, I think Barlow fits in well as sort of a, a power winger who can score in that lineup in the future. Uh, I actually think it could be pretty soon. I think if they hadn't picked up three really decent depth pieces in that uh, Dubois trade, and if they hadn't signed Domestikov, I actually think Barlow would have had a shot at, at cracking that roster. But now it looks pretty pretty jam-packed. They've got 12 or 13 sort of veteran players that are going to compete for spots. Probably Barlow goes back to one sound now, which, which is probably best for his development anyway. Yeah, he... He did have a good draft year, but he's got some stuff that he can work on. Owen Sound's going to be really good. He's going to have a chance to compete for a championship. And uh, But I would say, like, within a year, I would say next year, when they've got a few contracts coming off the books, he might have a shot at, at cracking that roster. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, I think he when he was drafted, I turned to Ryan Kennedy, who was sitting next to me, and I was like, oh, that's just a Winnipeg guy. That's a guy that fits that Winnipeg model. He plays like every other Winnipeg Jet, kind of stylistically plays. Like you said, that power winger uh, plays a little bit of snarl. Really fits into that Winnipeg lineup. I think, like you said, could he fit into that Winnipeg lineup next year? I'm a little less optimistic than you are, I think. But like you said, that following year, I think that's when he really starts to push. If he has a really good year in the OHL this year, uh, again, captaining that Owen Sound team, making a deep run possibly, in in challenging for the OHL championship – and then going into training camp the following year, having a big training camp and kind of pushing the, the Jets, showing that he is physically mature enough to put, kind of play at the NHL level and be a guy that is an impact player. I think that's when we could see it. I still think he takes the one more year. I think he gets in at 21, uh, 2021, but he's a guy that's certainly going to be kind of on the precipice, I think, within a year. And at the end of the day, like, I, I think it's a good pick for the Jets at that 18. Going on to the next pick, Oliver Bonk was the second uh, OHL had taken, 22nd overall to Philadelphia. What did you think about that pick, and do you think that was the right pick for Philly? Yeah, I mean, I think you and I have chatted about Bonk before, and he's the type of guy that we knew NHL scouts liked more than sort of the amateur ones. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily shocking to see him as the second OHLer off the board. I think that there's definitely a, a safe projection 
for him as an NHL defender in, in some capacity. Uh, I think the there's a very wide range of outcomes there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a good pick for Philly. Uh, I, I do think Bonk is, is going to be at least a very good defensive penalty killer type um, that can sort of hold down like a number four, number five role. He's probably going to take two full years after this draft year, obviously, uh, to mature in London. It's going to help him be better offensively. It's going to help him fill out his frame, become a little bit more of a consistent physical presence to to match that good stick, that good defensive IQ. Um, and then after that, he, he might have a shot of cracking the roster and might need a year in the AHL. But uh, he's definitely sort of like a two- or three-year guy, like most of the guys that are drafted at the end of the first round, right? I feel like all the guys that we're going to chat about here that went in the first outside of Barlow are probably going to be two- or three-year guys. Yeah, I think he's he fits that Philly hockey style. I think he fills a need on that back end in their prospect pipeline. I think they've got a few guys back there, but he really kind of pushes himself to the front of the front of the forecast for that team. I think, like you said, that defensive style he plays, he plays a pretty refined defensive game. It's going to be about rounding the things out, and he's been in a perfect situation in London. I think the London Knights do a fantastic job developing players overall, but defensemen specifically. I think he's going to really benefit from that that Hunter system there. It, and just come along slowly. Philly's not in a rush. They're, they've got some time. Their top pick isn't going to be there for three years. So he's got some time to kind of work his way in and kind of develop slowly. And I think that's going to be the path of Oliver Bonk because he has the tools. It's about refining things for him, especially with the puck on his stick. And I think if he does that, he can be a really valuable piece for the Philadelphia Flyers going forward. 22nd was a little high for me, but in that range of where I kind of expected him to go. So it was a pretty solid pick in my opinion. The third OHL drafted off the board, and this was in a run of three OHLers. Uh, 26th overall to the Colorado or to the San Jose Sharks, sorry. Quinton Musty, a guy that I thought fit that system so well. I know you talked about it on the Locked on Sharks podcast with, with our friend JD. This is a guy that just fits that Sharks system, fills a need in their system, and I, I love the pick personally. Yeah, it's a, it's a great pick for San Jose. I, they were the type of team that was going to take a swing on a guy like Musty. They're in a position where... They're still a few years out from being a competitive team. They're still trying to stockpile young talent and young talent that has a high ceiling, right? Like they're not in a position like some of these other teams where they need to be taking more safe prospects because they're trying to fit within a competitive window. And they're just trying to find guys who can, who can be good players cheap on ELCs to fit within the cap, right? Well, San Jose just doesn't have to worry about that, right? So let's just take those home run swings in that first and second round. Let's try to get guys who are going to play maybe high up in our lineup or maybe not at all, right? But that's the chance that we're going to take. And it's a perfect spot for, for Musty, especially since I feel like a lot of the forwards in their forward group um, that they've drafted, including Will Smith this year, William Eklund, right? A lot of those guys are more high skill IQ types, not necessarily like the bigger physical types that Quentin Musty could be, right? So he could easily be uh, a really good complementary piece to one of those guys in the future. Yeah, I love the fit. I think, like you said, being a, a, on one of those guys' wings or maybe the three of them forming a line together. I know William Eklund's played both at center and on the wing. 
I think it could be a fantastic fit. I think Quinton Musty, like you said, brings that element of power, physicality that they don't quite have. Andy's a really, really good playmaker. Like I said before, I've talked about him many times on this podcast where I think his shot is underrated because he hasn't been taking as much this year. And I think if he starts to develop that over the next couple of years in the OHL, we could be looking at a guy that's not only a lethal scorer, but a lethal playmaker. I think this is a guy that really kind of takes a step over the next couple of years in the OHL in San Jose looks at this and goes, man, we got two maybe top 15 players from this draft class in the first round here. So I love the pick for San Jose. And the next one was another was a guy we talked to on the podcast fairly recently. Friend of the show, Cal Ritchie, goes 27th overall to the Colorado Avalanche. And, and I think this is a great fit for a guy who dealt with shoulder injuries all year and still has a lot of untapped potential, in my opinion. I absolutely love this landing spot for, for Cal. I think this is going to be a really good opportunity for him because when he is ready to take that next step in two or three years, I think Colorado is still going to be a really competitive team. Um, there's no way you don't continue to be competitive when you've got young talent like Kale McCarr to build around, right? Like that's a window that you need to keep going. And what we've seen out of Cal is he's at his best when he's playing with other really good players because that IQ is so high. So he could easily just kind of fit right into that lineup when he graduates from the OHL and be an immediate sort of middle six guy. If the skating and some of the physicality components continue to improve over the next couple of years. And um, I think it's just, it's a perfect spot for Cal. Yeah. I don't think there are many plug and play players in the NHL. Um, I, I think the fact that he's able to do that is really, really intriguing. I think it's so hard to be able to adapt and change your skill set to play with just about any style of player. And Cal Ritchie has the ability to do that, whether he needs to be the shooter, whether he needs to be the passer or just the play connector overall, he's able to kind of fill any of those roles. And I think that's what I really like about his landing spot in Colorado. Like you said, they're going to be competitive and it's going to be at a time where all the contracts start to build up, although all the caps starting to kind of, inflate and, and they're going where are we getting cheap cheap production from calrich is going to be able to come into the line and provide that I, I love this pick for them and now to a pick that was a little bit more maligned toronto maple Leafs at 28th overall took their fifth ohl in the first round a guy that you had hinted before on the podcast that could go in the first round we talked about it previously on and off the air easton cowan goes in the first round yeah you and i chatted at the draft uh, i had a feeling as soon as they announced Wes Clark was going to be making the selection, I kind of had a feeling it would be Cowan. And look, the Toronto media, the Toronto fans, everybody's kind of been like, oh, why, right? Well, look, here's why. Easton Cowan improved so much over the course of his draft year. By the OHL playoffs, he honestly was one of the better players in the playoffs. He went from being a complimentary piece on a good London team to being a play driver and one of London's best players. There is such a, a sharp trajectory there. And he's somebody that I don't think it was just Toronto sniffing around. I think that it's easy to say, in fact, it kind of, it kind of angers me when people say like, Oh, they should have traded back. They should have done this. They, well, if he's your guy, you take him because Guaranteed, there were other teams that were circling around Cowan, maybe in the late first, maybe in the early second. You trade back, and then what? Somebody else takes Cowan, and then you know, you're left with taking a player that you were less comfortable taking, right? If that's your guy, you take him. And it's not that people from the outside see it as a reach. Um, and just because he was ranked 
lower on some public lists doesn't mean that he wasn't ranked highly on some NHL draft lists, right? And there's so much trust in that London development model, as you mentioned with Oliver Bonk, right? Um, and also there's so much trust in players who show a really sharp progression in the later part of the season, right? Um, I think when we chatted about Callum before, or maybe it was on like another podcast, I'm, I'm trying to forget here, everything's kind of blurring together with, with all the draft coverage that we did leading up to it. Um, but I, I mentioned previously Brent Burns, right? Brent Burns was a guy who really didn't have a huge role with the Brampton Battalion in his draft year. Started to play a little bit more towards the end of the season. Now he was playing forward at the time. He wasn't playing defense, but he started to play a little bit more towards the end of the year. Last sort of like 10 games before the playoffs, he had sort of taken over a first-line role, was a point-per-game guy. Playoffs come around. He continued to be that sort of high-end, first-line type guy. Was fantastic in the playoffs. Was ranked in like the third or fourth round by a lot of sort of public organizations in that like sort of 60 to 80, 90 range. Minnesota ends up taking him in the first round. The rest is history. He's become a very, very good NHL player, albeit at a different position. He's switched to defense now. But um, the point is, those are the types of guys that you should target. You don't want to target those guys that their development curve is a straight line, right? You want to see a very steep curve. And Cowan, I think, has shown that. And I think that he might just be sort of like – hitting the tip of the iceberg here. So what you're saying is the tweet from an unnamed rights holder saying Duncan Cowan going to the first or in the first round to the Toronto Maple Leafs, the London Knights defenseman is just writing on the wall because it's going to happen just like Brent Burns. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Wendell Clark, right? He was, he was a defenseman that switched to a wing. I mean, it could happen. No, I, I think it's a really fun pick. I think it's an interesting pick, and it, it kind of peeks into the philosophy of of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think, is it my favorite pick? No, I'd be lying if I said that, and we'll get into that a little later when we talk about who had the best and worst drafts. But I think, like you said, if that's your guy, get him. Because like you said, there, it wasn't just the Leafs sniffing around Easton Cowan. I think it's safe to say that. I think anytime there's we, we look back at a bunch of different picks throughout the years, Mort Sider going to Detroit, Yuri uh, Slavkovsky even at first overall last year going to Montreal. Other teams wanted guys like that. Other teams wanted those players. They were going to not, you weren't going to be able to trade back and get that guy. This year, no trades happened in the first round. It's not like Toronto could have traded back to 32. No one was trading. It's just that's how it worked in this year's draft. So I don't think this was a draft that where you could trade back and get the guy that you wanted still. With that said, Easton Cowan is a pick that is certainly a, a pick of flavor. I think it's a pick of, hey, this is the guy we wanted. We went and got him. It's necessarily the best player on the veil, best player on the board uh, on a consensus. Probably not. But he was the best player on the board for Toronto, and that's why they grabbed him. So I certainly respect the pick. Let's get to some surprises, though, before we get to kind of the, the our grades for the draft and some of our other, other questions on it. Cam Allen went to the fifth round to the Washington Capitals. This was a guy that coming into the year was in the conversation for top five, top ten even. I think it's a really interesting pick for Washington. He went a lot lower than expected early in the year. Why did he do that? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Allen a bunch on the show. It's the decision, uh, the decision making, right? It's 
it just wasn't good this year. And I don't know if it was the pressure of, of trying to play on a team in Guelph that had really high expectations, you know, the pressure of playing in your draft year or trying to do too much, but overall his game was kind of a mess this year. Right. And then that's why he was drafted so late. Now that's a lot later than I expected him to go. I kind of thought that him and Caden price uh, defender from the, uh, WHL who kind of had a similarly disappointing year. Um, I thought they would kind of go in that same area. I thought they would both kind of be in that like late third round range, maybe early fourth, but the fifth, uh, that was definitely further than I expected on the go. At some point, like towards the end of the fourth, I started to think like, you know, is, is Cam Allen getting the Spencer Silva sort of experience here where a guy who's was originally ranked fairly high from the OHL was ranked in the top 100 going into the draft ends up going undrafted, blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, but then yeah, Washington stepped up, took him in the fifth. And I, it's a great pick. Honestly, uh, if in that range, maybe Cam Allen turns it around next year, right? Maybe, maybe he kind of reevaluates everything and it wouldn't be the first player to have a bad draft year to end up becoming a good NHL player. Right. It, it happens. So, um, yeah, at that pick, amazing value in my opinion. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I thought I went down and talked to Cam after there, he was picked, and I asked him, "You had an up and down year. There's no doubt about that. What was it that kind of led to that?" And he he'd mentioned straight up, he's like, "Yeah, it wasn't the year I wanted to do. I wanted to have coming into the year. I was asked to do a lot for that Guelph team. I was asked to be a guy that was on the first lot, first pair, play up. I went from playing thirteen other teams third lines to playing other teams first lines i went from having to defend the best players in the from having to defend good players to the best players in the league there was a lot of steps up in all aspects of the game for him and i think without the talent supporting him that he had the year before albeit still not the greatest team in the world he really missed having other players on his team to play with he ended up trying to play hero hockey he mentioned he ended up trying to do a lot himself and that bled into the u18s he, he and he brought that up on uh unprompted he he said that going to the u18s he continued to try to do too much and at the end of the day the great thing about it he said was that his offensive game took a step back and there's no doubt about it he knows those skills are there though and he was able to work on his defensive game a little bit so i think that's a really interesting point of view for him to have and like you said he could return to form next year and kind of get back to that player we all thought he was because i think coming into this draft year there was a a lot of people that had cam allen up high on their boards and they all thought he could be one of the first defensemen off the board so going in the fifth round to washington a bad year it's worth taking that gamble on a bad year because this is a kid with a lot of talent this is a kid with a lot of skill it's just about figuring out exactly what he's going to be at the next level because I think that was my the thing I noticed about his game. What kind of defenseman are you? Are you an offensive guy? Or are you a defensive guy? Who are you? And, and that was the question I think he needed to answer. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does with Washington going forward. Brad Gardner is the next guy I want to talk about. He went in the third round of Dallas, went a little higher than we expected, but I know there was a few people that thought he would go in that range. I know Ryan Kennedy was really high on Brad Gardner. Myself, I wasn't quite as high. What do you think caused uh, Dallas to pick him? Yeah, it was really interesting uh, to see Gardner go ahead of Luca Pinelli, for example. Uh, I mean, was it really all that surprising? Maybe it's debatable. But Gardner is a guy that I think his versatility 
in Ottawa this year really impressed people. Uh, he was somebody that played up and down that lineup from first to fourth line, from defensive shutdown player to power play guy to support wall guy to play driver. Right, like you, it was he played every single possible role that you could on a hockey team, center, wing. Like it, it was just, and I think that really spoke to NHL teams because it it suggests that when he starts to get more consistent ice time, you know, maybe there is something there because he is able to find some success when he's played up higher in the lineup. And then you look at Ottawa next year, Morrison gone, Cameron Tolnai gone. Now Vincenzo Rohrer has signed back home in, in Europe. Um, and Ottawa's top three centers are all suddenly gone. So Brad Gardner is now the top line center, unless they really get somebody in the import draft or unless they switch around some positions, like if they have Lucas switch back to the middle, um, for example. But otherwise, Gardner would be Ottawa's first line center next year. So I think maybe teams sort of saw that and was like, there's going to be a great opportunity for him to play with some really good players moving forward. It's a great opportunity for him. We really like the player. We really like um, some of his skill sets and his IQ. So yeah, I mean, I can see why Dallas took him as high as they did. Yeah, he was an interesting pick for me because, like you said, that versatility was there. He was able to kind of fill in admirably wherever he was in the lineup. My question is a very much the same question I have with Cam Allen. What are you at the next level? And I think with Cam Allen, I'm asking that because I don't know what he can be. And with Brad Gardner, I'm asking it because I've seen you do a lot of things. Where are you going to settle in? And I think that's the difference between the two guys. And I think that's why Brad Gardner ultimately was drafted a little bit higher on top of the fact that he had a much better season overall. I think Brad Gardner is a guy that, like you said, has a lot of opportunity ahead of him. What's he going to do? And I think that's always the question. I think could him and Pinelli form a really nice pair on that top line next year? Could Pinelli be the second line center? Brad Gardner be the first or vice versa? It's going to be interesting because that Ottawa team has got some talent coming back on that on that for that uh, OHL next season next year. It's going to be interesting to see what Brad Gardner does because he does everything decent, but what does he do great? And I think that's always been my question. But we brought up Luca Pinelli, and that's the next guy we're going to talk about. Went a little bit lower than I think any of us really expected, despite the fact that there are some pretty obvious reasons he went in the fourth round of Columbus. Yeah, I mean, when we say he went lower than we expected, I kind of expected him to go in the third, and he went in the fourth. So it's really not that much lower. I think when you look at maybe some of the public lists that had him, you know, in that second round, they probably had a different opinion, but I know you and I had chatted and, and you yourself had sort of lowered Luca on your list in the second half um, compared to the first half of the year when he was playing really, really well. And that's not to say that he didn't play well in the second half, but I feel like he did kind of come back down to earth a little bit and maybe showed that his upside maybe wasn't as high as we sort of originally thought. Um, still has a chance to be a really good NHL player, but at the end of the day, he's another one of those guys like Cam Allen, like um, Brad Gardner. And it's, you know, what is Luca Pinelli going to be at the next level? He's undersized. Um, he's not a dynamic skater. Um, he He's going to have probably trouble finding his way to the middle of the ice and playing between the hash marks at the NHL level, unless he really is able to add some size and quickness. Is he a center? Is he a wing long-term? I mean, he played wing this year for the most part, but he might shift again to center next year. There, there's so many questions there, right? And, and that leads to 
a difficulty in projecting him to the next level. And I think that Columbus picked him in a similar way that they picked Jordan Dume, right? Like it's like, a, okay, we got to a certain point in the draft where this is somebody who is already a really good junior player. Let's see how some of those athletic tools and some of those other things come together for him moving forward. Maybe he ends up being something, maybe he doesn't, but he's just too good to pass up at you know this stage of the draft. Yeah, I think the fact that the matter is that sometimes you just watch a player and you go, oh, that's just a good hockey player. And I think Luca Pinelli is one of those guys where you watch him and you're like, he's tenacious. He fight, he gets in the battle. He fights for the puck. He's not the biggest guy. and He doesn't win every battle, but he's certainly going to be in every battle. I think he's got a good shot. He's a really stinky good playmaker. Some of the, the creativity that he shows, I think, is really interesting. He's a guy that has a brashness about his game where he's willing to kind of go in there and throw a big hit. And he's also willing to try to make a pass that not many other players would even attempt. So I think there's a lot to work with. But like you said, there are some areas of issue. I think his size is obviously going to be an issue going forward. Uh, Not the strongest guy in the world, but he can certainly work on that. His skating, I think, has gotten kind of poo-pooed on a little bit too much this year because I don't think it's quite as bad as his brother's was in his draft year, but his brother was also a little bit bigger. So there's also that. So there's a lot to work with, with Luca Pinelli. And I think he fell into a perfect spot in that Columbus system. I asked him when, when I talked to him at the draft about going in that Columbus draft class, that could be a draft class that truly changes the future for that Columbus blue jackets team. And I know you'll talk about that in a few minutes, but Man, that is a very, very good draft class, and Luca Pinelli is just one of the names in it. Let's move on to the last guy that we want to talk about, and this is a guy that went a lot higher than I expected him to go, and I think there may be some nepotism involved, Um, but it's Florian Jack guy going to the Montreal Canadiens in the fourth round. Why? <laughs> <sighs> I mean, let's ignore the nepotism, right? Like, let's <laughs> let's throw that out the window. I mean, yes, Arbor is in Montreal playing well. That's sort of a really good success story. Obviously, Montreal is looking in this, looking at this from a, a similar sort of lens, right? Like, okay, let's see can Florian's game take that sort of rapid trajectory upwards the same way that Arbor's did. I'm not sure. Like watching Arbor and Florian at the same age, um, I remember watching Arbor when he was trying out for the OHL. And I was thinking, like, I went to a, like an exhibition game and I thought, man, like, there's something about this kid. Like, he could be a good player. Like, uh, I hope that they sign him. And um, they did. And then he ended up really growing. I felt like sort of every month, every couple of months, his game got better and better. And then every year, his game got better. Whereas, whereas Florian, like, I watch Hamilton a lot and I think he's a good player. I think that there's definitely a lot of potential for him to be a solid, probably like second line guy in the OHL. But I don't know if he as a forward um, has the same likelihood of making the NHL as, as I felt Arbor did. Um, But I mean, when you get to that stage of the draft, obviously somebody was pounding the table for Florian. It's a good story. Um, The Montreal media, does need good stories sometimes to, to build off of because there does tend to be a focus on the negative. And we saw that with the Rhinebacker selection where the poor kid is getting death threats already, right? Uh, because they passed on Mitchkov to take Rhinebacker, right? So you've got Florian. It's a great story. Hopefully he develops. It's definitely earlier. I, I kind of thought he'd be like a sixth or seventh round guy. 
the end of the day, take him in the fourth, maybe just like I said with East Cowan, right? Like we can say all we want. Oh, they should have taken Florian Jagai in the fourth round. What were they thinking? Right. But if Montreal knew there were a couple other teams that had been scouting Florian this year that really liked him, there's that threat that, yeah, maybe they use a fifth, maybe they use a sixth on him. Like if we really like Florian, we want to reunite the Jack Eye brothers and make it a big story in Montreal and have it a, a good sort of like feel good element to it. We take him, and, and that's what they did. Yeah. I think uh, you mentioned somebody who was probably pounding the table. I have a feeling his name was Arbor. Um, <laughs> they would have, the table would have broken if Arbor was pounding it. Yeah. He would have beat it up or something. It would have been uh, pretty entertaining. So, um, but no, like you said, there's, Someone was probably out there sniffing around on Florian. So Montreal takes the guy, has a feel-good story, like you said. It, it's fun. We saw we saw two brothers go to their teams of the older brother, uh, with Noah Dower Nielsen uh, going to Liam Liam Dower Nielsen's team in in Detroit. So it's a fun time. Like it's always fun to see two brothers reunite in the team. And yeah, it's it's a good story, like you said. Let's move on to some of the undrafted OHLers, some guys that. Despite the fact that the the total OHL number went over what we thought with thirty five with the thirty three and a half, we had thirty five OHLers drafted. We ha- did have a few notable guys go undrafted, and and one of them I, I want to start with is Matthew Soto. And do you think there's a path to signing him? Do you think there's a path to developing t- or getting a pick next year, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. I think Soto probably wasn't drafted over the same reasons that we just talked about with some of those other guys falling and just projection issues, right? Soto at this stage of his OHL career is more perimeter oriented, I would say. He's not somebody that finds a lot of success playing through the middle. And I think a lot of that had to do with maybe a lack of star talent in in Kingston with him. maybe uh, the type of role that maybe wasn't best for him to play. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how his game grows as Kingston improves because uh, they should uh, definitely get better over the next couple of years. That's just the cyclical nature of the OHL. And when he's in his 19 year old season or, or older than that, even um, he's somebody that does have some interesting tools. I think there's definitely a path for him to get selected, but uh, I, I can see why teams passed on him. Yeah, it, he's a guy that I had high up my board because, and it, high up is relative. He was in kind of the middle of late to middle of my top 100, but he was a guy that I thought had a lot of pro habits, knew where to be, kind of got to the right spots. But like you said, there are reasons that he didn't go. It's just uh, at the end of the day, when you're talking about these mid to late round prospects, there's probably 200 mid to late round prospects and only a hundred of them will go. So a guy like Matthew Soto falling out, it's not entirely shocking. A guy that did kind of shock me a little bit, just because there was, did seem to be a lot of chatter on the NHL side of things with this guy, especially at the midway point to later in the year, it's pretty Stonehouse. Yeah. We saw quite a few reentry guys go from the OHL, but they weren't really the ones that we kind of expected other than Dionisio, but uh, all the rest of them, it was kind of like, not the ones that had a lot of chatter that we had kind of expected would go. And um, yeah, I, I guess the idea with Stonehouse is here's a kid that's undersized that plays sort of like a pesky crash in that type of game. Maybe there's concern that he's just not skilled enough to, to play that role at, at the next level. Um, I think that if his game continues to improve and we see his offensive production improve every year, 
I think he could definitely be a guy who gets targeted as like an OA, for example. Um, kind of like uh, we just saw in WHL with Chase Wheatcroft, right? Like yep. somebody who uh, eventually works their way up the ladder and ends up being somebody that NHL teams have interest in. Yeah, for me, he was never a guy that really made it too high up my list. Um, I don't even think he cracked my top 100. I think he may have been an honorable mention, but he was a guy I definitely expected to get like someone team to take a flyer on in the mid to late or the late rounds at least. Um, I was a little shocked to see his name not there, but moving on to a guy that I wasn't quite shocked to see his name not taken, and that's Andre Molnar. I think there is a lot that went into this, both on and off the ice. I think coming over to the OHL. He hurt his draft stock at the end of the day. He was playing a lot better when he was playing over in Slovakia, playing the pro game, and then coming over to the OHL, he never really found his footing. And I think that was the biggest problem. I talked to one NHL scout before um, the draft, and they were talking about Mishiak and, and Andre Molnar, and they were like, which one hurt their stock more? And, and they settled on Molnar because this is a kid that never really found his way. I think Mishiak in the USHL, finally figured it out in the playoffs and really kind of showed what he can be and what he can do. Molnar really never did. And on top of that, you have the floorball incident where he punched a guy maybe repeatedly. Um, that seems to be kind of thrown out and the, there are no charges being laid, but you still have the story out there. You still have the concerns. You Maybe the, the interview processes didn't go well. So I wasn't entirely shocked, but what was your take on Molnar not going? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the biggest concern there, as it pertains to the floorball incident, is it prevented him from playing internationally with Slovakia, right? Yeah. So that was an opportunity for him to to be seen by scouts that weren't coming to Erie to watch them lose 10-1 late in the season, yeah. right? Um, and ultimately, that really hurt him, I, I think. And it's always tough. The, these guys that, that come over halfway through the year, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm crazy here, but I feel like most of them don't end up finding success. It, it's a long road to try to adjust to playing in the CHL. Um, quite often it takes these guys a couple of months. And when you come over halfway through the year and you try to like gel with teammates that you've never met before, and work your way into a lineup and adjust to new surroundings and adjust to being with billets and, and all the stuff that goes into it, it, it just becomes so overwhelming, I feel. And rarely do they find success. And Molnar is a guy I don't think we should give up on. He could easily be the next year's Igor Sidorov, who got drafted fairly high. He was one of the first re-entries um, this year taken. And the talent is there. Erie is going to be really good, uh, I, I think. And I hope that, that Molnar sticks it out with Erie. I, I think he is. I think that um, he's going to be with them next year again. So, yeah, I think that there's a chance that he's going to have some really good OHL years in the future and and really sort of re-cement himself as an NHL prospect. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, he's the kind of the perfect guy that you go, let him go back into the draft next year, take him with a pretty decent pick next year, if he has a good year, and see where he's at. Because, he, like I said, he never found his footing, but it's going to be a, an interesting season in Neary next year, I think. To say the least, there'll be some more talent around him, and I think that's when he'll be able to see his game come to full force. Donovan McCoy was an interesting one. I didn't really – I wasn't shocked, but I was talking to some people. There was a bit of surprise to see him not get drafted. Yeah, I think I would have been uh, – I don't know. I guess I'm not surprised. Uh, I, I could have seen him drafted, and I could have seen him not drafted. He's somebody that I think 
if he was going to go, it was going to be in that sixth or seventh round. I think he had a fairly decent uh, playoffs for Peter Burrow. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's a good defender. The offensive game hasn't really developed. He's a late birthday. I think there was a lot of things working against him, maybe pointing to him being just kind of like a good OHL defender in the future. Uh, at the end of the day, it, the key for him is going to be improving his offensive production. We've talked about this before. You you can't be – very rarely are you an NHL defender, even as a stay-at-home guy, if you don't produce offensively in some way, shape, or form at the CHL level. Yeah, I – I just, at the end of the day, like you said, I don't see, I didn't see the progression I need to see in this game this year to, to really solidify him as a draft prospect for me. Um, a guy that I think is really interesting going forward, where's his next step is Spencer Sova. This is a guy that I remember a few years back towards when ice first started opening up during the COVID year, I ended up kind of going to a pickup game with some friends and he happened to be on the ice with me. So I got to see him literally up close and personal on the ice, far better skater than I am. And that's to say the least, but this is a guy that I thought was going to go this year. I really thought he was going to get some team taking a late round flyer on him, but they must've seen the tape of the one time I burned him. We're going to ignore the times that he completely made me look like a fool. But what was it that made Spencer Sova not get drafted? I think it was just the poor end of the season, right? I feel like all of Erie struggled yeah. down the stretch. Like they might've won what two games in their last like 17 or 18. And I feel like there were some bad habits that he reverted into that we weren't seeing in the first half. So I'm thinking that that poor second half really hurt it. His stock uh, that is, I think, Scouts are going to look for him to sort of put together a really good full season, kind of like uh, we keep throwing out some of these comparisons, but kind of like Hansel in, in Seattle, right? Yeah. Finally, a guy who put it all together in his 19-year-old season, played a really good full year on a good team, um, ends up getting drafted. And I think that's what Spencer Sova needs to do. He needs to have a full season of high-level top or one of the top defenders in the OHL um, sort of production and then we'll see him drafting yeah just keep him off the ice with me because uh that one time i burned him would happen definitely a second time and needless to say he was 100 giving full effort it wasn't one of these times where he was at 20 percent um yeah he he's a very good player it's going to be interesting to see where he goes like you said scouts are going to look for that full season from him um just uh don't watch the pickup games he plays with me i'll say that uh, Francesco Della Elsie, uh, Ontario based player, not an OHLer, but he's a guy that kind of is intriguing. I think some people thought he would go, some people didn't think he'd go. What was kind of your take on him not going? Yeah, he was probably the most shocking guy who didn't get selected. Uh, for me personally, anyway, I, I thought that he definitely would have. I saw a ton of upside from him and watching um, yep. his St. Andrews games, and I, I thought, you know, yes, like his game's a little bit erratic. Yes, there's some need to improve his defensive game and some, of, excuse me, some of his decision decision making. But I thought the off, uh, offensive upside was was through the roof. This is somebody who skates really well, a good point shot, good skill level, um, can have a really positive effect on the transition game, can have a positive effect uh, in the game as a power play quarterback. Is going to you know a, a good program, um, 
he's already signed on with Penticton for next year. So you know he's going to develop well in, in the BCHL before he goes to the NCAA. Uh, I talked to a few people after, and they were kind of saying, like, what they had heard from scouts was that they just felt this game was just too erratic, like too scattered. Uh, I would argue that there were some other defenders who sort of fit that exact same category who were taken. Um, but, I mean, if he has a good year in Penticton next year in the BCHL, like if he's one of the better defenders in that league on a really strong Penticton team, uh, I would say he probably definitely gets drafted next year. Yeah, he's a guy that I remember talking to some people about early in the year. And uh, I've been very anti-high school players um, unless they're truly, truly exceptional. Um, and, and even then, they're such a crapshoot. I, I think uh, whether it's Minnesota High School, Ontario High School, wherever it may be, it's it's a question. And I think St. Andrews College has a reputation for a reason. They do develop players quite well. So that's a place you can certainly look. But it wasn't shocking to me to see him go undrafted. I think the big thing with him is, like you said, there's some erratic in, in his game. There's some kind of questions of, of decision-making. But that skill is there. That ability is there. He seems like the kind of guy that's going to go to the NCAA, play two or three years there, and then sign out of college. I think that's kind of the path I see for him I think he'd be a really interesting get if he can do that because that gives him plenty of runway like you said Penticton next year going to college after that that gives him plenty of runway to kind of refine things get things set up and and really get his game in order and I think that's going to be the big thing for him because the talent is there like you said so it's going to be an interesting pick for him uh, going forward let's move on to some team topics I think uh, best draft worst draft is an easy way to do it so let's get to who had your best draft overall Yeah, you alluded to it earlier. It's Columbus for me, and I think Chicago is the easy answer. They got the best player in the draft. Yeah, Connor Bedard, right? Easy answer. But I look at Columbus's draft, and I kind of go down the list, and there was a lot of guys that I personally liked, and I I loved where they ended up choosing them, right? You go down the list, got Adam Fantilli. Then you reunite him with Gavin Brindley. Um, Brindley was a guy that I thought might go in the first round, ends up going in that early second. Um, then you've got William Whitelaw, Andrew Strathman, Luca Pinelli, and then they, Mr. Irrelevant, they use, a, use the last pick in the draft on Tyler Peddle, on, another guy kind of like Cam Allen, entered the year as a, as a first-round candidate, didn't have a good year on sort of a middling QMJHL team. Uh, that's the type of swing that you take late in the draft, right, is that that guy can end up being a really good power forward. So Columbus, it for sure, is is a team that I felt had the best draft, worst um, I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. Uh, I think that Braden Yeager was a reach at 14. Uh, I just don't know if I see the upside that maybe they do there. Um, and I think that Pittsburgh is a team that with not a lot of talent in their system currently, it felt like a bit of a safe pick when they could have taken sort of like a home run swing to try to get them some guy that was going to be the next to to help them usher in a new era. And I know that sounds crazy because they're picking 14th and I'm picking the top of the draft. But, you know, if if the goal is to to keep the Crosby Malkin era alive, like you need to get not just support guys, but you need to get guys high up in that lineup to play with them too. And I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not as big a fan on, on Jaeger. Uh, P and the Emmy, I, I felt like was a bit of a reach in the third round too. I, I feel like they could have used that pick to, to draft another guy that had a lot of upside. I, I just feel like when I look at their draft, it's just like safe, 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 safe with every pick. And it's like your system, in my opinion, is one of the worst in the NHL currently. You barely have first rounders ever. 
and your draft is just so safe. Uh, and that's not the way I would have played it personally. Yeah, I, I agree with you on all those points, except for one. You said the obvious winner was Chicago. My obvious winner was Columbus. So since you took my obvious winner, I'm going to take <laughs> yours. I'm going to say Chicago was the winner of the draft. And like you said, they got the best player available, obviously, in Connor Bedard. But going down their board, they had a lot of players I really liked. I think Oliver Moore, absolutely fantastic pick at 19. I'm a big fan of that kid. Uh, Adam Gallian, a really intriguing goalie. I think Roman Kantarov was a really interesting pick in the second round. A little higher maybe than I would have taken him, but I loved the pick. Martin Mishiak, Nick Lardis, uh, Alex Farrand, even going down the list and getting a guy like Milton Oscarson. There was a lot of guys that I was like really intrigued by with that pick or with that draft class. But because those were kind of the two obvious ones, I did go with a third one. And, and I'm going with the Philadelphia Flyers. In, in Danny Breer's first draft, this guy goes and gets maybe the second best player in the draft in Matthew Mitchkov, one of the most talented players. And, and we all question going into the draft, who's going to kind of get up there and, and go, I'm going to take this kid. Danny Breer seemed extremely excited to do so. I, I think it was awesome to see him do that. Um, then going down the, the, the draft board, they got guys that I love, like Carson Bjarnason, Denver Barkey, even going down the list, and Alex Chirinek, Cole Knubel, uh, Carter Southern, who I think is a re- maybe the most underrated defenseman in this draft class. There's a lot of really good picks, and we talked about Oliver Bonk earlier. I think Philly had a fantastic draft class. They certainly deserve some love, too. And then going with the worst... I think we're going to go with the Kyle Dubas connection. You chose Pittsburgh. I'm going Toronto. I think while they didn't have a lot of draft picks, I think some of their picks, like you said, were a little, it's going to sound weird, but a little safe. We talked about Easton Cowan not being a guy that a lot of people loved at, at 28, but that's kind of a safe pick. I think he's a very good energy guy, a bottom sixer. I Someone asked me recently, they're like, what kind of NHLer do you kind of see Easton Cowan being? And I went, did you like Alex Kerfoot? If you didn't like Alex Kerfoot, then you're not going to love it. Uh, Easton Cowan going forward. I think maybe there's a little bit more offensive upside, especially with a shot from Easton Cowan. But I could see a similar role in the NHL. And I think that's the, the big thing is you passed on guys that maybe, like you said, could have swung for the fences. Andrew Crystal was still on the board. A bunch of different guys were still on the board. So I, I think that's the thing with, with um, the Toronto picks. It seemed like every time they picked, there was a few guys afterwards that it was like Gavin Brindley. That could have been a really interesting pick. Even, even I'm not a big fan of Ethan Goche, but that would have been an interesting pick. Um, there's a lot of picks that they kind of went, we're going to take, our guy rather than the guy that I think maybe has a higher end upside. So that's the big thing with the, the Toronto draft. Let's get away from the, the 2023 class though. Before we get out of here, this is the last show of the year. We'll be back in the fall, probably September previewing all the divisions talking about a many number of 2024 draft eligibles. So let's get a little peek into next year's draft. Who is one guy that you're really looking forward to watching next year for the draft? Yeah, when, when we talked about doing this as, as part of our prep for the show, um, I mean, I could have gone with a guy that I expect to be one of the first OHLs off the board. Like, I mean, we could have gone with, um, you know, Zane Parekh, who I think my associate here is going to be talking <laughs> about in a second. Um, but I went with a guy that I feel like is vastly underrated right now, and that's Parker Von Richter of the Mississauga Steelheads. I feel like he got so much better over the course of the season, but in the, the year he might've been one of their better defenders, if not the 
best defender for that team. And I think that he has a lot more to show offensively. And I think we're going to see that next year in his draft year. I think he's sort of like a low key Helenka uh, Gretzky guy uh, as well. I think he's got a good shot uh, of making that team. Uh, I would imagine we see the roster come out for that in the next week. It could be anytime this week. It could be early next week uh, for that camp. And I would expect his name to be on that list. Uh, at least I hope anyway. And uh, I, I just really like this player. And I, I feel like he's going to end up pushing up draft boards over the course of the season. Yeah, I am going to cheat a little bit and go with one of the top guys and go Zane Parikh. He's a guy that I thought was so fantastic in the OHL this year. He was an impact player as it was. He's going to be a guy that challenges for the top of the draft, not necessarily the top five, but in that top 10, 15, 20 range, I think, at least going into the start of the year. But he's got so much dynamic talent. He's a 20-goal scorer as a 16-year-old in the OHL this year. There's a lot going for this kid. What's the heights that he can reach offensively? His defensive game is going to need some work, but this is one of the best blue liners to come into the OHL um, at this rate, at this age. Really fun to watch. I think a really big impact player going down the list though. I could have gone with either of the Windsor guys and in Liam green tree, Anthony Christophero. Um, there's obviously Brett Seneke in, in uh, Oshawa. There's a ton of different guys. Luca Morelli, I, I think there's a lot of fun players for next year's draft class. I think last year we went in with really high expectations for the OHL and we were kind of let down a little bit. Everyone kind of seemed to fall back a little bit. I think next year we're going in with kind of middling expectations and we could see some guys really jump up because next year's draft class isn't the 2023 class. I think this is one of the better classes we've covered as analysts ourselves, uh, at least for myself, I'll, I'll say that. Next year with the OHL draft class, I could see guys jumping up. There's a lot of really fun players. Even a Jacob Chromiak, he's a guy that I would love to see kind of move up. So while I went with Zane Parikh, I named off a bunch of guys that I really like uh, for next year's draft class. Uh, do you maybe have a sleeper, a guy that isn't necessarily on all the boards yet, uh, even though there's only a few released, but a guy that's really deep down the board for you? Yeah, I mean, it probably would have been Parker Von Richter. He would be sort of like in that like, nine ten eight range because it's such a it's just a very strong crop um the name that kind of jumped out to me and and you mentioned some of the windsor guys and that's aj spelsey yes he's obviously torn up his knee i don't know when he's going to be back next year Uh, you might know uh, a little bit more than i do probably i would expect him what mid-season if if we see him i Um, I was told when i asked about it the the hope is november Right. We'll have to see. And I'm sure he's not going to be at 100% if he does come back that early. Right. So maybe by January, maybe New Year, we start to see him at full speed. But he is somebody that really impressed me this year and is that type of player that NHL scouts love, right? He's that big yeah. power center. Um, and I would have been very, very curious to see how his game developed next year, just to see sort of how high that skill level could get um, to sort of match that power game. So he would have been the guy that I would mention um, in that regard. All right, Brock, we come to the end of our final show of the year. Do you have anything you want to say to our, our wonderful, loyal listeners? No, I just want to thank everybody for, for following along and, um, you know, making this a, a really awesome experience and interacting with people. And um, I just want to say thank you. And, and hopefully you guys continue to follow us along next year. 
Yeah, it's been a really fun season. I think going into the year, we wanted to split up the pod, the prospect podcast across THN. And one of the ideas was to do it league by league in the in the North American system. So I think doing an OHL centered podcast, it's a it's a space where there is a few OHL podcasts, but doing it on a bigger, broader spectrum, doing it with THN behind us and everything, it was really fun to do. I loved having you as my co-host. And I just want to thank a special shout out to Connor. Producer Connor, who always puts up with our shenanigans, um, and, and everyone that listened. Like, I always go and, and shout everyone out and say, like, rate, subscribe, review on whatever podcast platforms you do it on. And, and I'd love for you to do that still, but I just really appreciate all the comments I've gotten, all the DMs I've gotten telling me that the, the podcast is something you guys really enjoy. So thank you very much. We will see you next year on THN on the O. But until then, enjoy the summer going to be a fun year next year.